All right. Darcy, can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear right. me? I can hear you. How are Fantastic. you? Good. It's so, so lovely to see you. Yeah. Um, if you want, you can turn your camera on. No pressure, though. <clears throat> oh, I'll just leave it off. I, I hadn't expected to turn it on. So. Fair. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for doing this. And um, thanks for uh, everybody who's here to uh, listen and potentially ask some questions. Um, if you want to ask questions, you can always uh, type them into the chat box and I'll, um, I'll ask. Or you can always do the little hand raise and um, I can unmute you if you'd prefer to ask yourself. Uh, but no pressure either way. Um, yeah, Darcy, how are you? It's been so long. It's It's been a minute. Yeah, a couple of years, I think, actually. We, you know, we were talking downstairs because we, we quickly- We had some intense conversations in Toronto on the, on the side of the street. Yeah, one of those like, <laughs> like long conversations <laughs> where it was kind of like, oh, hey, we're both at the same workshop together. And then it turned into like, oh, yeah. now we don't know what time it is anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, we were talking downstairs, you know, Alexa is from, she was born in Canada, my wife, mm -hmm, Alexa, mm -hmm. and her parents are from Canada. So anytime we say like, oh, you know, we're about to have a conversation. Oh, who are you talking to? Oh, someone from Canada. And they're like, oh, yeah, very exciting. It's very <laughs> patriotic. You know, we say that you're from Regina and they're like, oh, they start talking about taking the train across Canada through Saskatchewan and like the whole, you know. Yeah. Well, Canadians are ashamed of their patriotism. Modes. What's that? <laughs> We're ashamed of our patriotism. Are you really? <laughs> I think so compared to the, compared to Americans. Well, let me say that. well maybe it happens in America, but in America are not ashamed of their patriotism. <laughs> okay. Because they're like everything, the way America is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Clear, I am not from here. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm super excited. I want to just let everybody know who's listening now and who will listen later. The reason I know Darcy is because we were both at a, a fighting monkey workshop and I think it was almost three years ago. Now. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And this was in Toronto and it was my first experience training with the fighting monkey crew and in, in that uh, philosophy, methodology, whatever you want to call it. And Darcy was there and we got to chatting and, and I realized like, wow, Darcy has been in the movement game for a while. Like you're kind of, I, I almost say you're almost like OG on the movement. <laughs> and, yeah. I've been around for a while. Yeah. And I was just so fascinated with like the people you would cross paths with, with and all the, 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 the realms you had explored from uh, like parkour and weightlifting and, and capoeira and these things. And I don't know, we were even saying downstairs that in some ways the conversation that you and I had, or the conversation we all had, there were three or four of us there, uh, played a role in us being inspired or, or comfortable enough to attempt to open a gym of our own. Right. Um, so yeah, that's where we started, but I would have to say, I don't think we've really communicated other than sharing some likes on Instagram since then. That's right. Yeah, that's true. Um, so why don't you just from, you know, give a little bit of your background, you know, how you started in movement, maybe what was a little bit before and then, and then sure. you know, your movement. So, so people kind of understand who you are and where you're coming from. Yeah. So I, um, I grew up, you know, 
kind of a partially feral child, I guess, always, always moving uh, in very small town, rural Saskatchewan, you know, town of 250 people. Um, so, so used to being out in nature, used to sort of having to make up your own fun, not being constantly entertained. And I, I was always quite athletic as a kid and involved in sports. Um, I left all that behind as I was in university and grad school and, and all of that. And, and then I had originally uh, opened a CrossFit and it was, it was through Rob Wolf reading one of his, you know, an old post, gosh, this was back in 2006, probably. And he, he had written, you know, if you ever get a chance to learn from Edo Portal, you should, you should, take up that opportunity. So I, I Googled Ido and started looking at his stuff and I thought, wow, this is, this is really cool. And uh, so that Ido was my first uh, entry into, into movement and, you know, movement culture. And I, I, I do definitely credit Ido with coining that, that concept of movement. I don't, I don't think any of us would be where we are now without him spearheading that, that concept and really bringing it into the mainstream. I think it was, you know, mainly around dance where people were talking about this concept of movement and, and he really brought it out into the forefront. And then shortly after that, um, you know, I'd been in, in CrossFit and Olympic weightlifting, uh, learning more of the, the calisthenics, the gymnastics aspects of, of CrossFit, really enjoying that and competed at, at managed to uh, get into regionals for CrossFit and so competed at a fairly high level. And then I was just done with it because I was really enthralled with, with Ido's message and what he was, what he was doing and, and went down this movement path. And then shortly after that, a few years into that, I started, uh, I got into fighting monkey from uh, attending one of, well, I was at Ido's original movement camp in Haifa and then Berlin and then, met Yosef at Fighting Monkey in Singapore and was really blown away by by his material and yeah it's just been a journey of of exploration of learning from a lot of a lot of different sources. Why do I, I didn't realize that you were not just OG movement but you're like OG CrossFit as well. I guess so. Yeah, I was around when it was it was a different game then. You know, it was it was much more renegade, and that was absolutely what I have a bit of an anarchist spirit to me, and so I I was really drawn to this concept of of a garage gym and and just you know the resourcefulness of of CrossFit where you're just you're making do with what you have, and and that is certainly a vein that has run through a lot of my stuff. It right into uh, parkour for sure. Um, parkour or CrossFit rather was, you know, it was super playful initially, you know, they were advocating, learn how to pirouette, learn how to tumble, you know, and this, yeah, I was really attracted to that. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize now in like 2020. Yeah. CrossFit in the beginning. Yeah. Was super counterculture. Absolutely. Like, yeah. There was really nothing mainstream about it. Right. I mean, this is what you're talking about. In some ways it's, it was so similar to movement and then it took some like big. It did. Yeah. And you know, I think every, everything has, everything evolves and um, you know, it, I don't want to talk too much about the good old days because it just makes me sound old for one thing, but uh, yeah, there was, there was so much more playfulness to it. Mm -hmm. And it's, 
and I found that, you know, CrossFit ended up being like for you, uh, and a lot of people who ended up following and, and, and taking class with me, that CrossFit was at least at one time, this gateway drug kind of, yeah. Yeah. whereas I don't think it's quite the same now. I think now more people are discovering movement, maybe coming from the dance world or coming from martial arts or something. It's not or parkour even mm -hmm. because the CrossFit thing has gotten a little bit further away. But I always, I, I say that to a lot of people. I'm like, you know, CrossFit was more like the way movement is now where people were scouring the internet or, you know, looking for videos and, and, you know, teaching themselves how to weight lift and these yeah. like, ring things. It was just not as accessible. And it was like, because of the, 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 the kind of the skin in the game that you had to put in, you were totally invested in a different way. Yeah, I agree. There was, you had to really work hard to, uh, you know, as Olympic weightlifting, for instance, which I, I became quite involved in and started teaching that on, on a national level as well. And, um, but yeah, you had to, you had to seek out these sources. It wasn't so readily available and, um, there was an investment there. Absolutely. So at what point did you start teaching CrossFit weightlifting and things like that, or just teaching in general? Um, well, I, I think I was it's, it's teaching. It seems to be in my blood. I was, uh, teaching at the university in, um, in, uh, political philosophy and sociology, gender studies. And so to me, it was just a natural evolution to, to start teaching slash slash coaching. So I, yeah, it was around 2006 probably mm -hmm. that I, that I started to, uh, you know, venture more into the, the teaching side of, of CrossFit and then again, moved into movement a couple of years later. But I, you know, I've always walked that tightrope of, um, or been in, in more than one camp. So I still teach classes. I'm, I'm not a CrossFit affiliate and I haven't been for, for years, but uh, I still teach people how to Olympic lift. And um, I still use a lot of the, the basic uh, concepts of, of CrossFit because I, I do think it's quite potent. Well, I, I used to say, and I free someone told it to me, this is not something that I said to myself but you know I was teaching CrossFit much much later I think it had already like was already in the like mainstream and it was not that counterculture thing where it was like everybody was kind of both a student and a teacher I feel like you right. see yeah. you know, martial arts everybody's helping one another and now CrossFit's like well there's the coach and then there's everybody else and don't talk to each other um, but I used to say you know the really one of the great things about CrossFit is that it, it makes it gives ways to teach all of these things, especially the Olympic weightlifting and creating the progression of the Bergner warm-up. Sure. Yeah. It's just such this straightforward thing. And I think CrossFit, you know, struggles to find it in some of the gymnastics things like these progressions. Yeah. It's just drills. Uh, but that is a legitimate progression that gets everybody doing uh, two really high level barbell movements. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool to see the masses introduced to such an elite sport that really wasn't on the map in North America. So you said that you were teaching um, weightlifting at an, at a national level. Yeah, I was the, well, I was the, you know, I taught at, coached at nationals, uh, was the coach for Saskatchewan for both the juniors and the seniors. And, mm -hmm. Wow. 
yeah, that was a while ago. But. <laughs> but I mean, that's another thing that CrossFit gave as well, right? Like before CrossFit, nobody, like all this, the, the tools to become a, an Olympic weightlifter were not really as available in the United States. It's like people who were Olympic weightlifters were European, Eastern yeah. Europeans or, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's why, I mean, I mean, we've seen a lot of people who have come out of the CrossFit world go to the Olympics for weightlifting. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. So how did you end up crossing paths with Ido and, and what, what kind of path did that take you down as you started exploring movement? Well, that was just, it was, you know what, I'm going to send this stranger an email and I'm going to invite him to Saskatchewan. And I know he's really into good food and I'm going to tell him all that Saskatchewan has to offer. Mm -hmm. And you know, maybe he'll say yes, maybe he'll say no. And he said, sure, I'll come down to Saskatchewan. And what year was this? This was like 2000. Two, 2008, maybe. Oh, wow. This is way back. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe 2010. Gosh, it's been a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we, you know, we formed this relationship first with Ido and he came a couple times and we just live with us and uh, train and uh, all my, I, I think I've always been fortunate to have students that were very willing and, and keen to learn this strange thing called movement, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, I, I know you guys put out a really cool little video trying to explain what, what movement is and it's, yeah, it's, it's tricky. Mm -hmm. um, so for a little province like Saskatchewan, bringing Ido in was, you know, it was pretty far out there, I would say at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, we formed this relationship and he would come down and visit and then eventually Odelia would come along with him and, uh, and then she would just come uh, as our relationship evolved just on her own and she would stay with us for a couple weeks at a time and, and offer seminars on a daily basis. And, wow. And yeah. at that time, like what, because I mean, even just in the amount of time that I've been practicing movement, teaching movement, so I'd say uh, you know, almost eight years, it's changed a lot. And in terms of just like the interests and the focuses and, you know, the, the certain philosophical elements, what, what were kind of the things you were exploring then at that time? Gosh, it's, it was one, I mean, I think initially when you're, when you're getting into something like movement, it is very much that paradigm of the, the unconscious incompetence you know, when you're coming in and you just, you have no idea. So for me, you know, a big, a big eye opener was just the spine, <laughs> something just as basic as, as understanding what a spine could do, mm -hmm. you know, and, and something as simple as that, as that is just so profound when, when, when I was coming from that CrossFit world of stabilize the spine, take load to the spine, take load. And it's like, Oh, you can articulate the spine in so many ways. And, um, Ido was drawing a lot on uh, the Floreo stuff from, from the world of Capoeira at the time. So I, I became very involved and in, in, invested in, in uh, those types of, of movements. Uh, the idea of improvisation initially was something that was not within my realm of possibility. That. Like there's just no way I had, I had nothing. I had no vocabulary. If I can, you know, borrow how some of Ido's phrasing, I, I just, there was no way to access it at that time. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, those are like the really powerful tools, right? Like people, 
you know, talk about like freedom in their body. And the thing you have to almost compare it to is just the way we speak, right? It's like mm -hmm. it's spontaneously. And if you're talking about some sort of um, physical expression, it, you, it means you're, what you really are trying to get to mm -hmm. is that we can have a conversation. Yes. Yeah. And I, as I said, it was just, it wasn't, it just wasn't on the table at that point. And now it's, you know, it's, I always say it is like when you're in a, uh, a dynamic interaction with someone, it's, it's like any kind of dynamic interaction where there's a lot of uh, pauses and umming and awing and hesitations and, uh, but there's a lot of beauty in there too. So when you were working with them, you got inspired and you started, like you said, kind of uh, exploring things like capoeira mm -hmm. and things like yeah. that. So what, how did you venture into that realm? I mean, are there uh, capoeira teachers where you're at? No. Research online or? <laughs> or yeah, I, you know, I, for a while there, I was just, uh, I was just digesting and researching so many different disciplines and, and capoeira happened to be one of them just because of, of Ido and Odelia and um, I did I love the playfulness of it uh, I like this this idea of the communication of communicating with your partner I love the music I love the the history of it so I, you know I was reading up uh, on the on the history of capoeira and uh, such a violent history to it and uh, you know wrapped up in slavery and, and colonialism and imperialism so I was, I was really drawn to that um, but eventually it was, you know, with any discipline, it's, you have to immerse yourself. And I just, you know, I couldn't put in the time of learning the language, the Portuguese and how to play the instruments and because it is all uh, a package. Mm -hmm. And I think, but it was a really nice gateway for me more into the, the fighting monkey material mm -hmm. where it was as simple as put a, put a string on a tennis ball and you can, you can get at that same spirit of, of playing with a partner and, and improvising. And, and Tom Wexler also had a big impact on me in, in that realm too. Yeah, I, I had a Tom on here for the first one. Mm -hmm. I saw that, yeah. Um, who also, you know, started out doing capoeira with Ido. Right, yes. Um, really interesting. And I know that he's also danced um, with Joseph and Linda. Yeah. Uh, company. So tell me about that. Tell me then, you know, you're getting all this information, you're, you're studying capoeira, you know, how did then did you, once you start getting this much information, how do you start looking at other things that are happening and thinking to yourself, oh, you know what, that deserves some of my attention. This other thing doesn't deserve my attention. <laughs> yeah. you know, you know, how yeah. you sifting through the waters there and, and you look at something like Fighting Monkey, for instance, and you're like, oh, you know what, I've spent so much time on all this stuff. I need to move this a little bit of a side and get more into what's happening there. Yeah, you know, it's, 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 that's a good question because it is, I mean, everyone, we talk about just sifting through that information and, and deciding where am I gonna place my energy and, and my focus and not becoming, the dangers of becoming a bit schizophrenic mm -hmm. with, your, with your practice. And I just, you know, I really, I was attracted to, Yosef definitely, you know, he presented, he was a bit of an enigma and that attracted me. And when I just, 
had an opportunity to learn from him in, in Singapore, I, you know, there was just it's really pretty hard to pinpoint what it was specifically, but yeah, I, um, with him too, I just, you know, I started to, to dive in on the internet and looking at this, the way that they were moving. And I was very much attracted to, um, the fact that they were dancers, but I had never seen such, uh, physical aggression and, uh, strength in dance. And I was, you know, again, coming from that Olympic weightlifting background for me, dance had always been this sort of light, airy, flowery, extending your hand out to another somatics type thing. And I had never just, you know, the personal taste, I'd never really been attracted to that, but there was just this, this energy to, to Josef and Linda's work that I was very much drawn to. Uh, and sometimes it's just about, you know, like, why not? I'm going to, I'm going to dive into this and see, see where it takes me. Yeah. When you talked about improvisation a moment ago, and I just remember being at that same workshop and, or the same workshop with you in Toronto and him really advocating to getting to improvisation. Right away. Is right away. Just like, yeah. Yeah. Whatever it is. Are we grappling? Are we dancing? Are we playing a game? Get to that place of, of spontaneity, of randomness, of some chaos, like as, as quickly yeah. as possible. Yeah. And I, I'm definitely uh, attracted to that. I like, it's very democratic. You can, again, just with the practice ball, you just, you just go out to the park and do it. You don't, you don't, it doesn't need to be codified and, and part of this uh, part of a larger institution where you've been training for years and you're getting your belt and all of that stuff. It just, that just doesn't appeal to me. For, for people who are, are listening, who haven't spent any time doing this kind of work, can you talk, you said you mentioned the practice ball, for instance, mm -hmm. yep. describe it. <laughs> sure. about like, you know, what maybe a couple games or, or something about that tool that might make sense to people? It is basically a tennis ball with a string attached to it. It's the most, you know, the, the, there's very low technology involved in, in the practice ball. And it's, uh, you can, you just, you play games with it. You can avoid the ball. You can uh, keep your eyes on the ball. You're, you're having this relationship to the ball. And the more you do it, the more it's like movement begets movement when it comes to the, the practice ball. The more you do it, the more you, you want to do it, the more you observe your, your default patterns, the, the, the patterns that you always want to sort of return to those habitual patterns. And it, it's, if you're, if you're willing to go there, you will learn so much about your body. Um, you'll, you'll also just, I, I think in general, not just fighting monkey, but, you know, a movement perspective, I think is, um, again, if you're, if you're willing, if you're, if you're not going to put up the, the blinders, um, you're gonna, you're gonna learn about your, your own resistances to learning, your own conflict with learning when it comes to learning new things, new material, new ideas, new concepts. Well, that's the, I mean, the, the, the thing that was probably pretty dramatically different from something like CrossFit. And I think a thing that people struggle with <clears throat> um, a lot is that movement depends on 
on other people, interacting with other mm. people, right? Yeah. And, you know, unless you're coming from the dance world or like certain parts of martial arts, you know, getting comfortable in that place where you're like, oh, I, for me to, to play this movement game, I need to interact with people for real. Yeah. You need to communicate and I need to learn how to communicate with other people in a lot of different ways and different scenarios and different games. The sociability is a, is a huge element to it. And I think it's, it's uh, from my experience, it actually can be a, a big turnoff for people. I've had a very hard time persuading people to play with others mm. and to play well with others. <laughs> why, why do you think that is? You know, I think it's partially uh, demographics, perhaps, and um, people are embarrassed. I think often with, with, especially with Fighting Monkey, they, or even, I mean, any of the games, they should, I think in their mind, they think, well, this should be so simple. And then, uh, again, that, that idea of resistance to learning, the frustration ensues and it's and they're embodying this frustration. Why is this so hard for me? I can, I can deadlift 300, 400 pounds. And uh, it's, a, it's a check of your ego. Mm -hmm. um, I've had, yeah, it's, you know, it's been such uh, resistance, even with, you know, back to Edo stuff initially uh, for a, many folks it was the, the first response was it's dance mm -hmm. and so and it was unfortunately often from men and mm -hmm. it was to me it was you know they were devaluing it first of all because dance is typically uh feminized mm -hmm. um and so they were in, in many ways dismissing this whole area of movement one because they couldn't do it mm -hmm. um and it was uh, a rupture. There was a, there was a fracturing there of the ego. So when you felt that happening, and I, it sounds like it, it still kind of comes up from time to time. Mm -hmm. people. So at what point were you like, well, I'm going to fully invest in this other direction rather than, you know, kind of tiptoe around the CrossFit world with my movement passion. Yeah, it's, you know, it's always, it's always been a balancing act for me, for sure. Uh, and so I'll, I'll bring moving into more of the CrossFit type of material. And because I, you know, my students, some of my students I've been, have been with me for over 10 years, mm -hmm. uh, even those that aren't necessarily that into the movement stuff, they'll, they will, you know, go along with me. And, and I think that's important too, that you're not as a teacher, not to just dismiss others for what what they're valuing and, and what what they're desiring but at the same time i think we we need to be aware of historically why some things are more attractive to do in in exercise and fitness and why some things are are devalued i think we need to to be paying attention to that um, to me, like it was just such a, it was so obvious when people are dismissing it, it's, it's dance. Mm -hmm. um, that to me is a value statement more than just a simple observation. Right. So um, how, how do you communicate that then with, with somebody who, who says a statement like that to you? What, what is, what is, you know, that's a, that's a challenging response to give. <laughs> yeah. It depends then, on. Cause then you're trying to de defend something that you see value in 
right? Yeah, and I think, you know, part of it is just leading by example. I'm, you know, I'm 46 years old. Um, and I, I think I move pretty well. And, you know, so it's partially, well, you know, pointing out you're always, you know, uh, if you're doing the same thing over and over again, the repetition, the, you know, don't be a, I, I, I try and uh, in a gentle way, say, you know, like, don't be a slave to your, your desires, your, your desire for mastery. Mm -hmm. uh for example and and keeping it lighthearted that you know when i'll bring out the practice ball and um you know try and get the folks that are would rather be lifting weight <laughs> to you know to introduce them to it and but but having some good times with it too and not not being too serious about it so what other things did you start to explore then um did you get i, I feel like i've seen stuff you post online with uh parkour as well mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think parkour is, I mean, the, other than maybe, you know, something like uh, martial art, any sort of martial arts, it's um, the improvisation of, of a parkour artist, artist is, is unparalleled. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm, I teach, it's interesting because I teach kids parkour, which is, which is huge. It's, you know, kids absolutely love parkour. But then my other greatest demographic that the biggest demographic that's into parkour <laughs> are women that are 50 and over. Really? Yeah. It's, it's so fascinating. Wow. So I have this, this group of committed women that are, you know, retired. I, you know, have, dozen grandchildren and and they're the ones that are out there doing parkour and um you know for me that's that's what's so interesting is seeing these often overlooked bodies mm -hmm. especially for women as they as as women get older they become very invisible and i think that's parkour is so fantastic because it's it's these older women taking up public space Mm. Um, and, and moving, literally moving themselves into existence. And I just, I think it's absolutely beautiful. That's a really good point about, you said about uh, being in public space, right? To do parkour, yeah. you are, you're out there. Yeah. 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 And I, you know, and then, and then that's, you know, that's probably a good example of like with CrossFit, well, you know, box jumps. Well, let's, let's, instead of doing these for time, as many box jumps as we can, let's make these jumps a little bit more interesting, mm -hmm. uh, for example. So, you know, just introducing different textures to jump on, for instance. And, and again, these brave women out there. Um, and I just think it's also just from a, the perspective of health and longevity mm -hmm. that, that you can navigate your environment. And the thing that makes parkour scary is, is more about the what ifs, the, the mishaps. When something goes awry, do I trust my feet mm -hmm. to respond in an intelligent manner? And in a in a quick manner, so that I can come out, you know, relatively unscathed. Well, I mean, that talk about a huge difference between CrossFit and a lot of these other things that we're talking about. Like the yeah. the meta skill of footwork. Yes. Yeah. Is virtually non-existent. No. <laughs> All these other things, like if you're, you know, you you know, you've mentioned the practice ball you work with the practice ball and develop some sort of intelligence in your feet. And you realize as you start entering into some other, some other realms, you're like, Oh, wow. Thank God. I know how to like move, move on my feet. feet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, so, our career's just been fantastic. So, so when you when you have a group of of women who are fifty and over, mm-hmm. you do a parkour class. Um, first, I mean, I think a lot of people know what parkour is, but maybe just quickly describe parkour, so that um, anyone who's listening is not totally blind to it, so that they can really appreciate what this group is doing. But then maybe describe a little bit to me what a class might look like with women who are 50 and over doing mm-hmm. parkour. Well, it's, I mean, parkour, it's very basic. It's just the art of, of navigating your environment mm-hmm. and using your, your everyday environment mm-hmm. uh, as an, uh, and seeing how your, your everyday environment and then just interacting with your environment. Right. So, so it, it, it's really like an, sorry. Urban, like an urban jungle gym, basically. Pretty much. Yeah. You're in the, you're on the concrete. You're yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, a typical class for us, you know, we'll do, we might incorporate a little bit of the fighting monkey stuff. Um, we'll do some, some of the conditioning that is, cause you, there's a, an element of strength that's involved in parkour. So, cause you're, you're lifting your body. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, we'll find some, uh, some ledges or something that we can just do some support holds on some cat hangs where you're, you're working your grip strength. And again, that's just the beauty of parkour is, you know, and, and when I'm speaking about history and who gets to decide what is strength, for instance. So why did we decide that we had to go to the gym and hang on this smooth bar for mm-hmm. hanging? Why can't it be a ledge? <laughs> it just seems like such a silly question, but at the same time, and why isn't, why aren't more people doing that? Like, why do we have to bracket off this, this hour a day to go hang on this polished, perfect, perfectly shaped bar, you know, try and put your hands on a tree or on a, on a ledge and, um, you know, opening your eyes and your perspective to, you're bl- taking your blinders off to see how much more is is out there so a lot of parkour is uh for me it's about uh as i mentioned like this just that power of perspective and becoming more seeing your everyday in a more enchanted way really like it's, it's like the 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 wanderer of the of the urban setting and the more you do parkour the more creative you become, you know, when I, when I first started it, I would kind of look around and not really know what to do with my environment, how, like how to interact with my environment. And then the more you do it, you just, you, you start to see your everyday in a way that other people don't Mm -hmm. Um, because you're, you're just looking at it through a different lens. So we'll, you know, we'll work on creating different challenges for one another and, and creating games. Oh, that's fun. So like on the spot, you'll like let you like you'll let each other kind of create scenarios for one another. Yeah, we'll we'll kind of we'll play like some classic parkour games like add on where one person does one movement and then the other person copies them and then you you add on and and that's a really nice way to start a class just to get the creative juices flowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. And it's also um, it's a. Uh, it's an interaction with someone else. Yes. It's always, there's always that, that interaction. Absolutely. I think that's, it's, we are social animals and, uh, you know, I look at how what's happening with, with, uh, with COVID and I mean, how we're people are, you know, having to tape out their 
their square their square footage that they have to you know train within and move their body within and and here we have in this opportunity this outdoors just step outside and and see what's there and i love the the resourcefulness this this art of making do you know, if I don't need to have these pristine conditions and all this perfect gear and I can, I can make do and, and, uh, and be creative and be resourceful and, and use my surroundings. You know, it reminds me of something that Yosef said. I got to take one of these Zoom classes through okay, yeah. Spirit Loft um, in Toronto who organized the event that you and I were both at. And they taught like a two days in a row for, for an hour and and I feel like I'd heard him say this before, but he was talking about how, you know, and, and I think this is about what you were saying with regard to there's a gym and this is where fitness happens. And then yeah. your life happens over here. And he was like, I practice all day. I'm working on, I, I can be going for a walk and I can be practicing and thinking about something. Right? Yeah. The entire life is the practice. There's no we're not separating things. It's all one package here. Yeah. And I think that again, the, just that compartmentalizing, um, we're humans are really good at compartmentalizing and we seem to, I mean, definitely with, with the fitness world, with the exercise world, mm -hmm. that is what we're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So have you, um, had to or have you begun or have you been teaching classes outside or have you begun teaching classes online with you know response to like what has happened yeah yeah it was uh you know like everyone else it was <laughs> it was a struggle at first uh i didn't really get into the zoom thing but i um i started it was an opportunity for me to get some online programs going mm -hmm. uh, which was nice and so, some locomotion groundwork type programs that I'm now offering. And uh, I think it's, it's especially, well, Saskatchewan summers are very short. Uh, well, but, you know, we I, I wasn't even sure you guys had a summer. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's, uh, I was outside videoing some stuff for my students in March, and I would, I would bundle up and or I would take off my jacket and run outside and film and then come back inside. And cause you know, my, my hands were just frozen <laughs> and yeah. yeah, it was, it was tough, tough circumstances. So, I mean, that's a real, I mean, I found it, you know, I've been teaching online since March <clears throat> and there's a certain amount of creativity that has to go into like being like, okay, well, these people are by themselves. They're probably just in their home. How do we like attack some of these, these things that we want to dig into with um, potentially limited space, potentially limited uh, tools and, and definitely limited communication. Um, so what, what have been some of your, your, your approaches to that task? Well, I haven't really had the, uh, honestly, I, because I, I didn't like being confined in the home. I'm, I'm big. I'm, you know, I'm five foot 10. I I'm leggy <laughs> and I just felt like I was constantly bumping into stuff. So honestly, I just forced myself to get outside right away back in, back in March. And it was, it was cold, you know, it was still minus, it was under zero, minus zero. Um, uh, but I, I just forced myself. And so I, and because I wasn't really doing, I wasn't doing any zoom classes, mm -hmm. 
I wasn't, uh, I didn't have that issue for my students. Um, yeah, I just, I had to get outside right away. Hey, well, listen, that, that speaks volumes to anybody who was not going outside here in the United States at that time. <laughs> again, we were having the conversation at dinner before we came up here to speak. Um, and we were talking about, uh, you know, Regina, where you're at. Alexis folks were like, I mean, that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We pride ourselves in our, our hardy nature. <laughs> so do you train in the winter then as well? Like in the real winter, do you go outside? Yeah, I, I try and get out cross-country skiing, mm -hmm. uh, snowshoeing. I've incorporated snowshoeing in the past in a lot of my, in, in my classes. Interesting. Uh, for my students. Yeah. So what, what is that? That's just, it's, it's like part of the session or do you guys snowshoe out to a location and then do something? Uh, no, we'll just, we'll meet up at a park. I'll bring the snowshoes and maybe bring some kettlebells and we'll just, uh, you know, we'll do some snowshoeing and some kettlebells while we're in our snowshoes and stuff. And wow. just fun. <laughs> that is a serious commitment. I love that. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't, it doesn't feel so serious to me because to me, it's, you know, the hardcore gym folks, they don't, it's, it's not part of their daily routine, right? So uh, to me, it's more playful than anything. It's true. You know, for a long time uh, before I started teaching movement, when I was teaching at like a regular gym, I had a class that I took outside two days a week. Mm -hmm. And it was always outside year round. And nice. we were talking about it the other day, maybe a couple weeks ago. And I dug through some photos on my phone. So I was explaining to somebody, I was like, oh, you know, we would go outside in the snow <laughs> on a track in Brooklyn. And I have these great photos of people like, you know, doing push ups, like in like a couple feet of snow out on the track. I love it. I love it. Yeah, it, it was, you are right though. It's like there are certain people where because it's so almost like far removed from what their normal life is, they're like, oh yeah, I'm doing that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and some people, they don't, it's not for them because it, they can't PR that day on their back squat or whatever and they're on a very serious program. And right. just, I just, honestly, the ha I'm, I'm happiest when I'm barefoot outside whether it's in an alley or uh, I train a lot just in my back alley um, or I'm just barefoot at the park, you know, that's, that's when I'm happiest. Yeah. So where, so you, I mean, you've done so many different things and, and, and you're clearly not afraid to like get outside your comfort zone. So what are some of the things you're doing now or that you want to start doing or you, imagine getting into at some point to continue to like remove the comfort? Um, I, I continue to, you know, I practice uh, parkour a few times a week. Um, honestly, it's, I mean, I'm, it's not that I'm, I'm great at parkour or anything. It, it scares me. A lot of it uh, I find scary. Um, and that's really why I do it. Um, Fighting monkey. I continue to, I think evolve along with Yosef and Linda and I, I try and attend as many of their workshops and uh, they were actually in Saskatchewan at one point two, I don't know, five, five years ago. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, 
Tom Wexler loved love any opportunity. I was supposed to be in San Francisco back in March, and that was unfortunately oh, canceled. I was supposed to be there as well. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that was I was pretty disappointed. Um, yeah, I think you know, and because Regina is we're pretty isolated, sort of out here on the frontier. It's I try and travel as much as I can, and 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 learn from from different people. I'm I'm very much uh, right now uh into Yosef's spine program mm -hmm. uh i'm researching that and studying and practicing that every single day mm -hmm. uh learning a lot that that's been a that's been a really interesting journey um someone someone wrote a question here they asked if you could expand more on your um experiences with tom wexler Oh, um, yeah, Tom, Tom is just a, he's fun to hang out with and he's a beautiful teacher. Uh, yeah, I, I worked with him in, in Slovakia and then in, in Toronto. Mm -hmm. um, I like, I, he, you know, he's, I guess like anyone that's, has made such an art out of their, through their body, the, I just love how he flows, how he makes, he can take very, such basic movements and he just, there's such a, a fluidity to him. He's, he's just pure water. Uh, he's got some beautiful, uh, just his dynamic warmups. Uh, I think he's, you know, he's drawing on a few different disciplines in his warmups. I've, I've learned a lot uh, in that regard. Yeah, he's very approachable. Um, so yeah. what, like, what are some of the, um, like the takeaways? Do you, do you practice any of those, the techniques or even just the, um, I don't know what they call it. He could, what he calls them, like some of more like the, the philosophical games, I think. I, you know, with, with Tom's work, it's, I, I use a lot of his, his partner games his ideas he, he's he is this lovely phrase he's, he says that um uh when you're moving on your own it's like it's like a relationship to your with your imagination but when you're partnering with someone it's it's reality <laughs> so that other in front of you becomes it's like oh i can't be in my own head i actually have to have a dialogue and respond to this person so i really like tom's uh partnering approach um some of the some of the uh landscaping games the bows and arrows those concepts i'm, I'm quite drawn to and i really am attracted to his how he breaks down sort of the the narrative of how we the traditional approach to acrobatics where you know he describes it as uh you have the setup and then you have the climax and then you know the the ultimate the the big explosive movement whereas for him it's uh, he, he, he breaks that down and disrupts that, that linear narrative that comes along with acrobatics. So you, I, I think of like a gymnast, you see them in the corner getting ready to do their like big power tumbling thing. Um, whereas for him, it's about how you can, uh, transition into those explosive movements, but not in a linear manner. And I think he's, he just does such a beautiful job of that. You have you taken his um, his his acrobatics workshop? I did his. Um, ugh, I can't even remember what it was. The the 
I, the one I did in Toronto was primarily around partnering and improvisation. Mm -hmm. And the one in um, Slovakia, I, I don't even remember what the, there was some partnering work in it. Okay. Um, yeah. Have you, I mean, and, you practice any sort of acrobatics right now? Very low, low acrobatics, not, I'm not into learning to flip or anything like that. Yeah. The, the big tricks. I'm, I, I, and you know, it's probably with just age and maturity, but I, I'm really attracted to making, to, to becoming uh, fluid with the basics. Mm -hmm. I, more and more that attracts me, you know, like perfecting a, a back roll to standing, for instance, yeah. uh, and just making, having it feel and look effortless, right. uh, for instance. Because people can spend so much time trying to perfect like one big explosive move. Yeah. Equate to, to freedom in their body or, in, or any sort of like honest expression. It means that you can do one big crazy move one thing yeah and all the time you spent trying to learn that move you missed out on other opportunities to be exploring other elements right yeah it's just to me it's just not very nourishing mm -hmm. um yeah so what do you do um strength work now to yeah yeah to maintain yeah I, I like to do um you know I'll, I'll i take my rings to the park and i'll do some muscle ups and some uh, whatever, uh, some base, basic upper body pulling, bent arm pulling, straight arm, straight arm work. Uh, I, I, you know, I probably commit a few hours a week to, to upper body, sort of more traditional strength training. Mm -hmm. Usually for upper body, it's all body weight stuff. And then I'll, I usually try and uh, Olympic lift a couple times a week. Because I, I just, I love the aggression of it. I love the explosive nature of, of lifting. And I think, you know, that's something that in the movement world, I think it's just not, as soon as you put an external object in your hand, it's, it's almost considered gauche or something. Like <laughs> it's, you're, uh, <laughs> and I, I, I don't believe in that. It's funny because in my, you know, five years of online coaching with Ido, mm -hmm. let's say for like, two to two and a half of them i was olympic weight they, like i was programmed olympic weightlifting yeah me too yeah like i was i was doing the whole thing and, and you yeah. know, it is funny it's like somehow like no one ever shows that piece of <laughs> no <laughs> it happens but we don't really like talk about talk it. about I don't it. Know what it is I'm yeah. like, i don't know i think it's amazing yeah and again i just i find that so fascinating that why did we decide that who got to decide that that we weren't going to talk about our dirty little secret <laughs> of, of weightlifting. Um, someone here asked if you could uh, elaborate more on um, some of the, the spine work that you're doing. Uh, spine work. Okay. Uh, well, I, I invested in uh, the Fighting Monkey Spine Program. I really, I did an intensive in Greece with Fighting Monkey and uh, every day we began with our 30 minutes. It, the name always changes. It was called Form of the Father and then it was called Zero Forms. I think that's what it's called now. But it's it's that daily, Yosef uh, describes it as that, that uh, daily check-in with your body. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those things where I resisted it. And for me, it's, as soon as I resist something and I dismiss it, I, I, 
I will come back to it because I, I want to know where was that, where was that conflict for me? Why was I, why was I resisting it? Mm -hmm. And so that was honestly what sparked my curiosity was that I, I wasn't curious enough about it. And it's one of those things that uh, with the work that I'm doing right now with the spine is it's not immediately gratifying. Like it's, it's, it's not like strength work. It's not even, you know, fighting the, the practice ball. It's, you are typically by yourself. Um, the movements aren't particularly quick, but you're, as you do it more and more, it becomes more nuanced. Your powers of observation become much uh, more sophisticated and you start to understand you start to really experience on a bodily level this idea of a, a full body collaboration and integration and um, rather than just theoretically talking about it through just by doing the practice you 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 understand to you through you understand it through experiencing it and, and embodying it uh so because you know i've you 21st century lifestyle right like everyone's a mess mm -hmm. and um I, I i wanted to look into it for myself but i also just for my for my students as well and getting away from an isolationist approach your lower back hurts so it's because your your glutes aren't firing or your you know so let's give you glute bridges and let's you know and yosef has such a different approach where it is much more full body it's far less prescriptive as well it's not you should do this or you need to do that it's it is definitely more about exploration and it's a it's a longer journey it takes a little bit longer, I think, maybe to, to get there. But I think it, in the end, it's, it's a much more satisfying, realistic experience because, because it's true. Like if, if you don't, if your body's not cooperating with itself, how, how can you sort of uh, make, make in a mechanical, very compartmentalized way solve any any problems that you're that you're facing in your body so that's that's what i'm really delving into right now with the spine program and you know how does the my the position of my foot and my knee and my hip and my head as they're working dynamically you know and it's all this synergistic uh collaboration uh with with each other um that i think is just so so powerful i used to um when I was teaching our intro class for Movement Brooklyn at the space, you know, I'd say, okay, well, you know, we're going to do some spine work now. We're going to try to create some language for the spine, right? Yeah. Language for all these like other things we do, but the spine, we don't give a lot of language to. And I would always say for fitness people, whenever I mention spine, people always jump to like back bridges, like, oh, like sure. we're going to do a back bridge. And that's almost like where it begins and ends for like, <laughs> oh my, I know I'm going to like, I'm going to, I'm going to get into a bridge. That's it. I'm going to do the wheel or whatever, you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> like the spine moves and we can teach it to do things the way we can teach everything else in our body to do things. And it plays a really integral, maybe the integral role. Yeah. Yeah. How we move in a holistic way. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, you're right. I mean, there's this, these, this go-to sort of approach for people. It's, it's either the spine is meant to just be loaded. So brace your spine, brace your spine. And, um, and of course there's this whole other realm of what it, of how human animals are designed to move. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, you know, in some ways I think we're almost becoming less and less human. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it might've been Ito who said it. it was like, oh, you know, you can, you can live without an arm, you can live without your legs, but you, you actually can't make it without your spine. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty important. Yeah. Um, and talk about a, a, a real uh, gift that we have stolen from the dance world, right? Yeah. yeah. Spine things, he's shown, especially like a contemporary dancer, they're like, they don't have names for any of them, but you start doing it and they're like, oh yeah, I've been doing that for years. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, and the, I'm always interested in the contradictions. I know so many dancers with, with back problems. Interesting. And so I will have dancers come to me and, and, and sometimes it's actually, well, you do need to get stronger in your, you do need to load your spine. Right. Um, yeah, there's, a, there's uh, you know, th- those contradictions are fascinating to me, but you're right. Like, yeah. Right, just to, to learn to articulate it in more than just like um, in yoga, like I said, like back bridge or like rolling your spine up out of like, you know, being yeah. half, you're like, oh yeah, see, that's my spine, that's it. Yeah, uh, but it's, you know, it's, and I think this is where we, we, we need new metaphors and we can really draw on the natural world that how how interconnected everything is and the, and the cascading effect that, um, you know, moving your, uh, your foot in one way is going to have this uh, cascading effect on the entire structure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we just, we have so much more to learn there. I mean, talk about something that they get, that Fighting Monkey gets into a lot that is neglected in a lot of different realms is the feet in the in the connection to the ground yeah yeah it seems like feet are finally getting their due diligence here people are talking about the feet yeah well everybody i think everybody thought that they were like there when they started wearing their like five finger shoes (laughs) (laughs) problem i've done the thing yeah yeah i i've had so many um uh well unfortunately it's it's often men young men that their feet are just such a disaster they're they're just so weak in the feet um and they want a olympic weightlift but they can't get in a resting squat without you know their their ankles completely caving in and uh yeah it's just it's not a sexy part of the body that we we want to spend a lot of time with but it's the part that we (laughs) interact with the world the most with yeah absolutely it's it's the one part of the body that's actually in contact with the earth yeah yeah and we we want to ignore it constantly yeah um i know you said that you're not doing any zoom classes or anything but is there anywhere that people can connect with what you're doing in in some way from afar uh just through social media right now i'm not i don't even have a website right now actually uh just through uh my Instagram site, Movement Regina, okay. and uh, and then on, on Facebook. Okay, is it also yeah. Regina? Pardon me? 
is also movement regina uh facebook is school of human movement okay and instagram is uh movement regina okay yeah i'm, I'm working on a new website with these online programs that i've been uh, look, there's a locomotion program and then my human aliveness program, which has been running for a couple of years, yeah. which is, uh, I guess the most intimate way of working with me. It's, it's all individualized. Uh, How, so programming. If, if someone wanted to work with you on that, they can just send you a message through Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Send me an email. Okay. Can you explain that just a little bit before I let you run? Uh, the, the human aliveness program. Uh, sure. It was, you know, I started it because, uh, we, we didn't even talk about this, but I have, I think one of the biggest gaps in movement and maybe because I hold movement to a higher standard than just exercise and fitness paradigms, but food, mm. uh, we have compartmentalized our bodies from, from nature. Um, they, they, don't, don't, don't be afraid to dig in right now because I totally agree this is super important. Okay. <laughs> and considering the state of the world, I think this is really yeah thing to talk about. So um, it all go. Well, when I you know when I first opened Flux, I was um, we started raising our own cattle, for instance, um, decentralizing our food production. To me, is food is food is one of those things where it, it's something that we have to do. We have to do it every day. Everyone in this world, we're biological beings. We're, we're bound to the rules of biology. Um, and it's one area I think that we could have so much more control over our lives uh, because we can control to a certain extent what we're, what we're putting into our mouths. Um, and it's, I think, a legacy of, of uh, you know, humanism that we have bracketed humans off so much from the from the natural world that humans are culture and then nature is is something other than human and we forget that we're we're animals we are we are we are a species um and that we have to nourish ourselves also that we're so interconnected and reliant on the natural world uh, technology, I, I, it's not going to save us. Um, and I, I think we need to, we need to really go back to decentralizing our, our food production and not rely and, and decentralizing so that we actually have an understanding of what goes into producing food and, and where it's coming from the, whether it's, you know, the migrant workers that are the backbone of, of, of uh, growing, you know, fruits and vegetables in North America, uh, you know, to the disastrous uh, ecological consequences of, you know, concentrated animal feedlots and, and movement folks, I, I feel like we're at the forefront of smashing the exercise and fitness paradigm, but we're, we're not doing it when it comes to food. I think movement, there's a promise to movement that we're, we, could, we could go so much further that, you know, we spend all this time on, on the body and then we just take for granted that somehow this food is gonna arrive for us. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's a, it's a big, it's a big blind spot and uh, it's, it's egoism and it's, it's the worst of uh, the legacy of humanism. We need to, we need to uh, gain a, a much deeper 
nuanced appreciation for the natural world that, that we are a part of and not in this bracketing off of human from, from, from culture and, and recognizing that our, our own vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's been a, that was the human aliveness was about drawing the, the connections between food and movement. And, that, and, and, and you, and you have like a, some, a, a way people can interact with you online that's uh, going through these ideas. Yes, once that, well, it, it, theoretically, when my, uh, my website should be up in a month or so. Okay. Um, yeah. I totally agree. This is stuff that I, I feel like I, I, I go on and on about as well. I feel like if I started talking, I would just repeat you using different language. Yeah. But it really no, it's, <laughs> thing. it's why I honestly, I, I feel uh, a certain passion to learn to hunt because mm-hmm. I feel like, I haven't taken any responsibility for the lives that are lost to fuel me. Right. And I don't understand and I and I and I and I don't feel right about that and it's not about wanting to be a big game hunter. I don't <laughs> actually want to like I I'm going to cry. I can I know if I kill something I'm going to like lose it, but I can't go and live this entire existence and not have taken responsibility in some way for like what is happening to keep me going. Yeah, I, I agree. We need, to, we're, we're just so far removed from the, from the food chain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it's learning how to hunt and fish, uh, trapping or um, I mean, just finding a low is in Saskatchewan. I feel like it's, it's maybe easier because mm-hmm. we're so rural, but you should be able to find a farmer and, get to know that farmer and form a relationship. I, I've, you know, that with the, the people that grow a lot of my food, uh, animal food, um, I've just, I've learned so much about agribusiness. Um, they're, they are like the, these farmers are like citizen scientists, the stuff that they're, that they're doing with, uh, um, uh, with agriculture and, um, through the, uh, uh, regeneration of, I can't, I can't think of the name of it right now, the Ellen Savory Institute, um, where they're return, restoring prairie grasslands through their use of ruminant animals. Uh, so through their, through uh, cattle livestock, re, uh, returning the prairies to their, this gorgeous carbon sequestering grassland that it was, that it was originally before before humans and you know that is historically that you know humans and, and bison here have been had this symbiotic relationship for for so many centuries uh yeah so you know just just to gain an appreciation for what goes into producing the food is is a is a really important starting point mm-hmm. yeah it's like you can't you really can't appreciate your own machine without understanding like what's going into it. Yeah, like it's, it, but it, and yet at the same time, just, I guess it's, you know, it's convenience, it's, uh, but it, it, I still marvel at how easily humans have been able to bracket off that area. And I guess, you know, it's for folks who are into movement or they're into whatever, whatever it is in, if you exercise or fitness and you're, you're paying attention to what you eat, mm-hmm. that it, it just seems like the logical extension to, 
to care about this world <laughs> that we inhabit. I, I think a perfect example is bone broth. I've been, you know, feeding my students broth for over a decade now and, and getting them to, to source out really locally grown, ethically grown um, like chicken feet and stuff for broth. And capitalism will just stick its tentacles into everything. And so now you can, you don't need to make broth. You can just, you can go to Whole Foods. We don't, uh, you, you have Whole Foods in the States. I do not have a Whole Foods here, but, and you can just buy it now as a powder. Mm -hmm. And I still think, no, it's, we're, we're missing the point here. There is something to be said for putting on that broth on the, on the pot and letting it simmer all day. And um, the, the resource saving, for instance, of, you know, uh, protein that, that you're getting from that broth instead of just throwing it all away. And there's just so much nutritional wisdom there that we let go of. Well, it's so, you know, it's, it's so lost. It's like people in the movement sphere, you know, I would say we could go further into fitness and CrossFit or whatever. Yeah. But in the movement sphere, it's like, you know, oh, I eat, they want to put a label on something, paleo or keto. Yeah. And they're like, well, that's enough. And it's like, well, no, that's treating you kind of well, but it's yeah. the, the integration into the, the rest of the natural world. Yeah, we and and especially from a, a North American perspective, we know that you know climate change is not the the cruel irony is that the people least responsible for it are the ones that are going to suffer the most right. in in developing countries, and we consume a lot of meat in uh, in North America, and I think you know we need to be conscious of of where we're getting that meat. Um, I have one person, uh, Matt, who has been taking class with me for years and um, has trained a lot with Fighting Monkey as well. He has raised his hand, so we're gonna, I'm going to unmute him so he can ask a question real quick. Okay. Um, hey, thank you so much for taking my call. Lots <laughs> of time. Um, Hello. I'm so thrilled with where this conversation has gone. This is all what I'm about in terms of this whole conversation, but this last section as well, sort of like this culture making part and the relationship of food and environment. But I was really struck by, in some ways, where you almost began the conversation with um, your description of what parkour is, is somehow having a relationship with place. And now what you're talking about with raising your own cattle and bone broth, I make skincare made out of grass-fed regenerative agriculture, tallow as a way of cool. being in relationship to place. Um, but in some ways, like, I think a little bit of what you're talking about with movement is like, it's a sneaky backdoor way of animism of seeing that the living world, uh, is alive and that we're in relationship with it. And as Kyle said, I think maybe like five minutes ago, like, no, no, no go into this, like, no, let's not just wrap up and, you know, drag the curtain over just, uh, immediately to maybe just take a few more moments and maybe truly let your, uh, philosophical freak flag <laughs> and just say maybe a bit more about that that notion of animism which is what I'm hearing you speak about and, and I personally could say a lot about it but I, I'm yeah. really interested to hear what you have to say um, yeah with I think you know it, at, at the end of the day I, I guess I come back to the the pitfall the pitfalls rather of, of uh, you know this 
the ideology or this this concept of humanism and that it that we wanted to you know exalt the human as the um i guess as the almost the ultimate species and and it's been important in terms of equal rights discourse uh especially now you know with everything that's going on um but there's there's this egoism to it that uh that that we that we need to address um yeah uh what else can i say about that i'm, I'm sort of at a loss for words right now i i feel exactly the same way i you know i've thought a lot about it and i and i and i realize more and more this this disconnection of the interconnectedness i watched a documentary recently and it was about um about how they're you know we're killing i don't know millions of sharks every year or something mm -hmm. and you know there are these people who are activists similar to the activists we see for like dolphins and whales and things and when they interviewed people saying oh you know they're killing millions and millions and millions of sharks every year does that bother you are you concerned about that and every person they asked were like no no it doesn't bother me it doesn't affect me i'm not worried about it i'm not this i'm not that and not realizing like well you depend on on these animals just as much as they depend upon you yeah and in fact if humans disappeared most of the, the natural world dis discounting humans would be okay. <laughs> right. But the re inverse is not true. Listen, we don't even bury ourselves in a way that we <laughs> like um, give back to the, to the earth. <laughs> no, that, that, that's very true. Yeah. And I think, you know, maybe it, it comes down to, uh, if, if we're talking about animism, this denial of death, mm -hmm. you know, this, uh, that, the soil, just the, the, how important decay, just the process of biological decay is to those, you know, six inches of topsoil that are, are critical to human survival. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we, we want to pretend like, yeah, not even pretend, it's like we spend our, humans spend their, their whole existence trying to avoid the, the reality of death, at least in, yeah the yeah. the cultures were yeah absolutely yeah yeah well i feel like um the next time we get to see each other we're gonna have a lot to talk about i agree um I, I, yeah i feel like we should exchange some emails i feel like we have some some book recommendations we can oh share. yeah absolutely yeah as soon as we get done here i'm gonna write a couple down okay. and, and ask you if you've read them because uh, i i have one or two i might send your direction okay oh I, I love that i love reading so um darcy this was so great i'm so happy we got to talk again um, thank you thanks for thinking of me i i really like that your uh your podcast is branching out from the usual suspects i yeah, have to say you know, i feel like people can it almost turns into an echo you know because people start just talking to people who know all the same things that they do and you're just like okay well i could have just said this without you <laughs> well i'm like well i don't know there's all these people who are out there who have been different places and done different things it doesn't need to be all the people who i've gone all and the same things and studied all the same things with i don't know right. it's like 
I know I have those conversations with myself already. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it was, um, like I said, it was because we met at that fighting monkey workshop and that conversation that you remember us having on the street. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Yeah. Um, really, you know, meant a lot to, to Alexa and I, we like, we, yeah. we, we revisited that conversation even today. Um, and when we were talking about, you know, who to talk to, we were both like, you know, we, we talked about that conversation. We're like, oh, we, yeah. really, we should really talk to Darcy. So well, thanks. Thanks for having me. It means a lot that you did it. And, <laughs> and when this, when the world kind of clears up, um, you know, both Alexa and I have uh, Canadian passports. So maybe yes. in your direction for a visit. Come and visit us. And hopefully, you know, we'll get to make a, uh, a workshop happen somewhere that we'll both get to attend as well. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it'll happen. Yeah. Right. Across. I'm going to let you go. Like I said, I'm going to email you some books and you can let me know if you've read them or not. Okay. And thank you to everybody who jumped on here and for the questions and for Matt jumping on and, uh, and, and sharing your thoughts and a question. Um, yeah. Everybody have a great night. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye.